Alright guys, let's go ahead and pray. We'll dive into the word tonight. If you guys would really agree with me, I, I love the word of the Lord and we need to really get this in our spirit, okay? So Father, I pray for the word of the Lord tonight. Everything good to go? Right there? All right. Father, I pray over this time in the word. Lord, that you would settle an anointing upon me, Lord, and come speak through me. And let everything be spoken that needs to be done. Father, we just pray. Jesus taught us about the parable of the seed and the sower, how the birds try to steal. So we bind up the enemy that would try to steal this seed going out of the word. Wherever it's supposed to go, we bind the enemy in the name of Jesus right now. That we break his power. But Lord, allow that the anointing and the glory of the Lord to fill every place where this is played and that people by the Holy Spirit are able to not be distracted by all the other things going on but to really the Holy Spirit help us to just get locked into what the Lord is speaking to our hearts and our minds that our minds be able to stay focused Lord anoint people's eyes and ears give them eyes and ears of the Spirit Lord give us soft tender hearts that we will be good fertile soil for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the word go out through me as living seeds of truth sown into that good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let there be a washing of the water. Let there be light shining and dispelling the darkness and replacing it with your truth and your life. That all the lies and deception of the evil one be dispelled. Bring truth, Lord. And let everything be accomplished in it through your word. That is your will to be done tonight, Lord. Let the winds of the Holy Spirit carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And let your holy angels watch over it and make sure that it's going to accomplish that which you've sent it forth to. For it doesn't return to you void. We bless you and thank you for it now. We agree together and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm finishing this series on um, kingdom finance. This is called Widows and Orphans. And I'm going to deal with a number of different topics through this. And then at the end, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I believe God is going to really bring a breakthrough in in a way of like a deliverance from some things in people's lives, okay? So let me open up with this. I want to talk about the spirit of Baal for just very briefly. I don't have time to get deep about some of these little rabbit trails, but I do need to mention this. The spirit of Baal has a lot to do with uh, wealth transfer. And you have to understand this is an ancient spirit, and this spirit goes back, obviously, to biblical times. But the spirit of Baal, the way that this spirit was worshipped in ancient times is really the same way these worshipped today. It's just that modern society has kind of tweaked it, but it's still the same. In ancient times, these temples, what was going on was this. There had to be some kind of bloodshed, whether it was human sacrifice or animal. But they would bring these sacrifices. They would worship and pay homage to Baal. And then you had that they would bring an offering. So it was like the offering aspect. Also, there was sexual immorality. They had temple prostitutes and people would participate in sex acts as a form of worship, okay? And so all of this was going on. You had the idolatry, you had the sexual immorality, and you had the bloodshed. And, of course, you had finances that were being given and linked to these temples. 
And Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so we have to consider the fact that where our finances are being put a lot of times reflects the idol in our lives. Does that make sense? Where your heart is, your treasure is also. So a lot of times, people put God last. But you'll see that they'll, they're putting their finances toward other things. You know, there's nothing wrong with having, having a hobby. But some people's hobby has become their God. And that's where all of their finances are put. And I'll deal some with first fruits in this because I believe it will benefit you tremendously. But in people's bloodlines if you've never heard anything I've taught a lot on this in the past but not not here recently but generationally in bloodlines there's there's things that ancestors have done and maybe they didn't realize what they were doing they got maybe mixed up in Freemasonry and they took these oaths and they went through these satanic rituals and they didn't realize they were doing it but they were yoking their family to Baal there's different idol worship. Native Americans, that's in my ancestry also. There's people's ancestry maybe in Buddhism and Islam and different worship of other gods and maybe even Satanism and the occult. But without meaning to, ancestors sometimes have done things that have allowed their family to be yoked to a spirit of Baal. Sexual immorality, bloodshed, abortions. Even though you maybe have not had an abortion, maybe your grandmother did. And something, it's like blood stained that family bloodline from her down. And it opened the door for this spirit of Baal. And what has happened is a lot of times there's iniquity in people that is holding them back. Because either their ancestors or they themselves have had idols in the worship of other gods... And so there's an iniquity associated with that that's inside of them. And they've participated in sexual immorality, or maybe their family has. And it might have even been connected in some way, because when you get into the occult, this is there. It might have been connected in some way to a worship of a deity. But that sexual immorality has released some kind of an iniquity. It might be bloodshed. But these things carry with it consequences. And so there's an iniquity there. And because of idols, God cannot accept idolatry. So there is a rejection toward idolatry. And sometimes in family lines where there's things like Freemasonry and other um, satanic activity, there'll be a strong spirit of rejection in that family. Does this make sense? And there's... Their family, their ancestry has given a lot of finances into these, the worship of these demon gods. Because, for example, I keep saying Freemasonry because it's so common in our culture. But Freemasonry requires a lot of money. So people that's been in it, they have basically paid a lot of tithes and a lot of dues, if you will, to that organization. And do you see how even though it's tweaked for modern times, you still have the same pattern you have idolatry a lot of sexual immorality a lot of sacrifice 
and a lot of finances going to these demon gods. And you see that even today with Islam. A lot of people, now Christians, we know this. But a lot of the secular world doesn't understand that the reason why these terrorists are so bent on shedding innocent blood is because in the eyes of Satan, it's human sacrifice and it's bloodshed unto him, unto all of their demon god, which is a fallen angel. So ultimately it goes back to Satan. There's a lot of their finances that go into Islam. And you notice how sexually immoral Islam is. They're all about that sex slavery and raping women. It's, it's the same, what I'm trying to say is, it's the same ancient spirits translating into modern times. How many of you guys know that demons and fallen angels don't die? They're still around. So the same ones in these ancient times are still here today. And so to break free from this spirit of Baal, there needs to be, tonight we're going to pray, and God's going to help break some of this stuff off people and help purge people because Jesus paid for our freedom. I've always been real big on this and we've seen a lot of people delivered. And the reason why is because Jesus paid for it and I keep emphasizing that to people. He paid for your salvation. He paid for your healing. He prayed for your deliverance. But many people that's had a healing ministry as my wife and I have for years and others that I know will tell you that a lot of times healing is connected to um, the demonic and to spiritual warfare. And that's why sometimes it's stubborn to get a breakthrough. But anyway... For God to break people free and begin to cleanse out that iniquity. See, with idolatry, and people many times, this is very common, so I encourage people to not take this lightly, really pray about it. But idols are very common in the body of Christ. People have idols they want so bad, so desperately to get married, and they, it becomes an idol. They, they, they want to be popular, and that ends up becoming an idol in their life. They... They want material things, and they want it too much, and it becomes an idol. You know, there's so many different ways that idolatry can come. And, the, and once that idolatry sets in, there's an iniquity there. And it's interesting because idols are very deceptive. It's hard sometimes for people to see it. But that's where their finances is going to start going, where that idol is. And idolatry is connected to fear. There's a lot of fear and a lot of torment. Because with idolatry, there's something about a spirit of fear where people are afraid of losing that idol, but something sets in in their life with fear, and like I mentioned before, with rejection. And to really get free from all of this, you have to deal with the root issue, and the root issue is, has there been idolatry in your life or your ancestry? Are there things in your life that are too important? Are there things that you trust in other than the Lord. See, a lot of people don't realize it, but in America, a lot of times people trust in other things for their health, for their financial protection, uh, for whatever, for their provision. You know what Baal was in ancient times? Baal was an entity that was supposed to protect you and provide for you. The word Baal was connected to husband. And so when people worship Baal, they were believing that this deity would be like a husband to them. And they would be like a betrothal. And this deity was supposed to make sure that their crops got rain, 
was supposed to make sure that whenever they got a wife that she could conceive and there could be fertility. And so that's why they went to these pagan temples was for that. And it's no wonder that the God of the Bible, the one true God, when Israel began to worship Baal because of Jezebel, the first thing he did was send a famine. And basically what God was saying is if Baal is so powerful and you guys are worshiping him, why won't it rain? Why won't he provide for you? And he raised up Elijah the prophet to begin to speak out against that. And a lot of times people don't realize it, but especially in here in the West when we live in these so-called first world countries where there's a lot of prosperity, people tend to put their faith in other things than the Lord. They trust in it. They worship other things. They worship sports figures. They worship entertainers. And there's such a spirit. of The Bible calls this, this is not just the words I'm using. The Apostle Paul said the spirit of, of the world the spirit of this present world and there's such a spirit there of entertainment people basically are worshipping these rock stars, these movie stars and it's idolatry to the degree that they call it American Idol and they're not ashamed of that because that really is the idol of America and and a lot of Christians and unfortunately that spirit of this present world has found its way into many churches where now it's just an entertainment thing. Hello? All of this I'm mentioning is idolatry. God is wanting our whole heart. He's a jealous God, an all-consuming fire. He doesn't just want part of us. He wants all of us. He does not want to share us with others. We're either going to love Him with all of our heart all of our mind, all of our soul and our strength, everything that's within us, we're going to be 100% His or we're not. He's not a God that's okay with you having other gods alongside Him. Alright. So let me, I'll come back to that later. I need to dive into this. So the second thing I want to point out is a prospering soul. Third John 2 John wrote this, I pray that you be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. So we know that from the scriptures, it is God's perfect will that we be in health and that we prosper as our souls prosper. So your soul needs to prosper. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to deal both with the spirit and the soul. I'm going to go quickly. So if you want to jot down something, you're probably going to do this pretty quick. But here's some things that hinder the prospering soul. Number one is the cares of this world. Jesus said that the seed will fall on soil and these people begin to grow. It's like there's an acceptance of the seed. But what? The cares of this world like weeds begin to grow up and it begins to choke out the fruitfulness. How many times my wife and I have seen and talked about in the ministry that we've seen people get so caught up with making money and the things of this world that they lose sight of God. Next thing you know, they're backslidden out of church and they're not doing anything for God anymore. They're not even hungry for God anymore. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, all of this grew up in their life and began to choke out their love for God and their devotion and their hunger for Him. I'm talking about a prospering soul. Also, mental stress... 
people that get so caught up, it's very stressful for some people because they're so caught up with making money. There's people out there that are working too many hours. They neglect their family. They're so caught up with this world and the fast pace of this world. And they're so caught up with making that money. If they can put in those extra hours, if they can go out of town, if they can work overtime, if I can just make this next business transaction. And all the while back home, their marriage is falling apart because they're never home. Their kids are rebelling and getting in all kinds of trouble because they're not there. And the stress, the mental stress that comes on people. That's why the, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Because it's His blessing. And see, the world, a lot of times people can get wealth, but there's a lot of sorrow attached to it. Weights on the Spirit. I want you all to hear this one. Because in times of revival... This is a real attack, and I want you intercessors and prayer warriors to remember this. Maybe circle this. Don't ever forget that I said this. Satan will try to counterfeit the burden of the Holy Spirit. And he'll try to plop down like some kind of a weight or a burden on your spirit that is not from the Lord. It's a counterfeit. And the way that you know the difference... Is because when the Holy Spirit puts a burden on you to pray, you want to go pray. Everybody, everybody hear that? You want to go pray. And then when you pray that burden through, you feel a release and you feel joy. How many have experienced that? Because I have. I have felt a burden. I prayed. I felt that burden lift. I felt joy. Because I prayed it through. That's from the Lord. But when it's a counterfeit burden... It's not meant for anything good. It's from the devil. It makes people not really want to pray. It's oppressive. And there's none of this praying through into joy. It wants to lead people down into depression. That's not from God. Be aware that Satan does try to do that, you prayer warriors and intercessors. You need to test the spirits. As the enemy wants to put weights down on you that are not from God. It's a counterfeit burden. Remember that. All right, another one is, I'm talking about a prospering soul. Another one is unforgiveness and bitter roots. We all know what unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness is a choice to have in your life. Because even though you may be hurt, you may have hurt feelings, you may not feel the warm and fuzzies for these people, you can still choose to forgive them. It's a choice. It doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with them anymore. It doesn't mean you have to have them over to grill out burgers and hang out over a bag of potato chips. It doesn't mean you have to do that, but you have to forgive them. You let, the, you let it go. It's a choice. It doesn't mean you have to trust them anymore. I've used this example many times where I said, you know, if somebody asked me to borrow $1,000, I gave it to them. They said, I'll pay you back. They never did. I'll forgive the debt. I'll trust God to give it back. But if they come back to me and ask me for another thousand, do, do I look that stupid? I'm not going to do that, you know. I don't trust them. I forgive them, but I don't trust them. So unforgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Another thing is bitter roots. If somebody's in unforgiveness for a long period of time, bitterness begins to set up in their spirit. And bitter roots are like those roots of a weed that go down into people, into their their soul and their spirit and begin to poison them 
And the Bible says not to let a bitter root be among you because it will spring up and defile many. What happens is when somebody gets bitter, a lot of times they'll begin to voice that bitterness. And they'll begin to tell, did you know so-and-so did this to me? And they don't realize it, but they're defiling everybody that they're talking to like that. It's springing up and defiling many. And you've got to let the Lord take those bitter roots out of you. As you forgive people, and I've shared this many times in other teachings, but as you no longer say, Lord, forgive me for judging them, forgive me for being prideful over them, and this is important, let the blood of Jesus block any sowing and reaping. Because once you start judging people and being prideful over other people, it will have a boomerang effect on you. And so the blood of Jesus can block that sowing and reaping, but that you forgive and you ask God, Lord, I ask you to help me. If you're having a hard time, I ask you, I humble myself. I ask you for the grace to come forgive through me these people and give me a love for them and do what the Bible says. It may be hard, but forgive them, make that choice, begin to pray for them, begin to bless them, and you'll find freedom in Christ. And God will begin to take those bitter roots out of you. Also, unnatural grief. People suffered loss. Maybe they had a death in the family. Maybe they went through a painful betrayal where they had a, a wife leave them for another man or something like that. And they, they had to go through a natural grief that's there, a loss. But it's an unnatural grief when you never get over it. Amen? And you talk to somebody years later and they're still in that same place. That's not good. You know, I've known people that had a death of a spouse and they never got over it. They never moved on. It's like they, to a degree, died at that time. And they live with this unnatural grief and unnatural sorrow. And that's a bondage from the enemy. That's not a prospering soul. God wants you to grieve, but he wants you to move on. Another one is unstable emotions. I've seen people so many times. They're so up and down. They're so happy and joyful one day, and they're, they're in a deep, dark place the next day. They're easily angered. They're easily offended. They're up and down. Another one is a rotten attitude. Now, this is just from my experience. But I've seen, I'm going to share this because it might help some people, but I've seen where a rotten attitude, where people have maybe had tendencies toward a Jezebel spirit in the past, maybe it was in their family or something. And I've seen this really linked to a Jezebel spirit. And... They know now as a Christian that they've got to repent. They've got to repent of certain things, kind of big things. If they were into the occult, if they, they were sexually um, active outside of marriage, if they were having abortions, things like that, those things are connected to Jezebel and Baal. And they know that they've got to repent of that, so they repent. And they know the Bible says to be submissive to their husband, so maybe they get married and they're trying to do that. And they know that other areas of their life, and it's like they're trying to make the effort. But it's almost like the last area, the last line of defense, if you will, that Satan has in their life, it seems to go down to this area of their attitude. And they have a very rotten attitude. They have a prideful attitude. They have a rebellious attitude. You try to talk to them, and they have a rotten attitude. They buck up, they flare up, and they have that Jezebel attitude. And because of that attitude, it's in their tone of voice, it's in their, in their, um, 
the way that they talk to their husband, maybe belittling or something. And that's the last line of defense. If they would really surrender that to the Lord, they, it's almost like that last little piece of a root could be pulled out of them and they could find total freedom in Christ. But it seems to me like, and from my experience, I've had this happen multiple times where an individual would get to that place and God would use me to try to talk to them, but that rotten attitude kept them from ever receiving what they needed to hear. They kept bucking up and having this attitude, and therefore they never really got free. And then over time, they started reverting back to their old patterns. And people want to get married. They want to have friends. They, they, they want to be happy in life. But that attitude there has got to be cleansed. And that's not a prospering soul. The Lord, through John... He said, I, I pray that you be in health and that you prosper as your soul prospers. And that rotten attitude is not a prospering soul. And so their health and their finances are affected. Also, accusations and condemnation. I've seen where people live, this is a big one, people live beat down on themselves. They feel about themselves they don't love themselves in a healthy way. I'm not talking about vanity, okay? But they don't love themselves in a healthy, normal way. They kind of hate themselves. And Satan, the demonic realm, is always accusing them in their minds, maybe bringing up past sins or making them feel worthless and just trying to really be negative in their mind, accusing them and condemning them. And they welcome that. Because that's the way they feel about themselves. And they feel that somehow by agreeing with that and even believing that about themselves, that somehow they're becoming more spiritual. But the opposite is true. Um, they're, they're becoming uh, more and more beat down and oppressed by the demonic. And that's not a prospering soul. The Lord wants us to believe his word that once we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. So when the enemy is trying to condemn you and beat you down, your response needs to be, I bind you, get out of here in the name of Jesus. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm forgiven. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am God's child, and I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer, and Satan has no place to accuse me any longer. That needs to be the response. And the last one is iniquitous patterns, which is what I talked about with Baal. When people have these things in their past or in their bloodline, there's these iniquity drives. I have to go really quick, but let me explain iniquity. This is quick, okay? Sin means missing the mark. So if I had a bow and arrow, and I was trying to shoot and hit a target, but I missed, that's like sin. We, we attempt to do good, but all of us find ourselves not being perfect, and at times sinning. Maybe we have a bad attitude, we say something we shouldn't, etc. And that's, that's the common level that everybody deals with. All right, transgression is worse. Transgression means rebellion. And this is where somebody knows something is wrong. They premeditate it in their minds. I know it's wrong to go over there and do those drugs and sleep with that person I'm not married to. But they do it anyway. That's transgression. They're rebelling against God's word. And the Bible says about Eve, she was deceived, so she sinned. But it says about Adam, Adam was not deceived, therefore he transgressed. It's a different level. But iniquity is different. 
When you look up iniquity in the Bible, iniquity means a bent, crooked, or perverse. It's where inside of people, iniquity is on the inside, there is a drive towards certain things. They find that they have some kind of an unhealthy curiosity and a draw toward maybe darkness, like gothic or the occult. They're very curious. They feel something bent on the inside of them that makes them want to get around those type of things. Or they feel some kind of an inner drive towards certain sexually immoral things. Or things that their family were involved in. If there's deep-seated iniquity drives about substance abuse or something, they feel some kind of a drive. But here's the good news. See, that's not a prospering soul. But here's the good news. The Bible says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities so when you're pierced you bleed on the outside but when you're bruised you bleed on the inside so jesus paid 100 percent at calvary from literally the crown of thorns on his head all the way down to the nails that were in his feet he paid for complete victory we have to understand that every bit of sin every bit of transgression every bit of iniquity was nailed to the cross all of the sickness all of the demonic bondage Everything that we could ever face in life, he paid for it 100% at Calvary. We have to lay hold of that. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. She crawled through that crowd desperate, and she laid hold of him. And that's what you have to do. He's paid for it, but we've got to lay hold of him by faith. And so God can cleanse this iniquity out of people, where literally it's like a purifying of your spiritual dna see you inherit physical natural dna from your family you have a certain color eyes a certain height and and all of that but you have to understand that also there's an inheritance spiritually there's things that are attached to those dna strands that are spiritual but in christ jesus the bible says that old things pass away and everything becomes new so when you come into jesus Literally, God can sever every tie. He can take all of that iniquity out of you. And it's like cutting you off from that old family tree and engrafting you into him. But you have to pray about it. This is where a lot of the body of Christ misses it. They think, well, I accepted Jesus. It's just taken care of. It doesn't work like that. You have to pray about these things. It doesn't just happen on its own. All right. So I'm talking about a prospering soul. Because see, God wants us in divine health and he wants us in prosperity. But to have that, you have to have a prospering soul. You're going to have to deal with these things. The reason why some people are not prospering in life is because honestly, they feel like they're a piece of garbage and they're worthless. And why would God ever bless me? And there's no faith in that. And the truth is that none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy to be saved let alone have anything from God, but yet he still loves us. And the truth of the matter is that not only will he forgive us, the Bible promises us that he wants to bless us with these things. And so we've got to renew our minds to have a prospering soul to understand that God really does love us, he accepts us, and he wants to bless us. That's a prospering soul. 
The next point I want to make is this, because I'm closing this thing out, so I'm trying to make sure I hit everything I need to hit. But Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, did anybody ever think about that scripture? Picture a bag, you know, a loose bag, okay, a bag full of beans or something, and Jesus starts pouring in all of these beans, and he has to pick up the bag and shake it real good and, and pack it down real good, and, and then he pours more in, then he shakes it and packs it down, and he keeps pouring it in until it's overflowing. And so the Lord is saying here, if you'll give, it will be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's why it's important to be generous. There's people that are tightwads and don't give, and they, they just give just a little bitty bit. With that measure, it's coming back. So you want to be generous. And here's what I would say. If I can just get people to believe this, if they'll start stepping out in faith and being givers, it'll totally change your life. Now, let me read this scripture again. Give, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. So here's, here's what you see in scriptures. Do you remember 2 Kings 4? The widow was telling Elisha, and she was among the prophets. She was telling Elisha, I need, you know, I'm poor and, and in serious situation. Elisha's like, well, what do I have to do with this? He told her, he said, listen, I tell you what, go to your neighbors, go everywhere. Don't get a few. Get as many jars as you can get. She goes everywhere getting these, you know, these jars and bringing them to her house. And she starts pouring the little bit of oil. But see, Elisha told her, use what you got. You got a little bit of oil. I want you to use what you have. Go get as many jars as you can. And so she gets all these jars and she begins to take the little bit of oil she has. She begins to pour it and God supernaturally multiplies it where it fills up every single jar and once she's asking, is there any more jars? They're like, we don't have any more. Then the oil stopped overflowing like that. And Elisha told her, now sell the oil, get out of debt, pay off the things you need to pay off, and live on the rest. Which oil was a commodity and it was very wealthy. So anyway, I'm just saying this. God will begin to multiply what you have. It's supernatural. Jesus, when he had to feed the 5,000, really it was many more than that. That was just men. Okay, think about that. There's probably at least 10,000 there. And he had to feed them. And he was asking his disciples, now how are we going to do this? And they're like, we don't know. This would take so much money, and we don't have all this money. We have no idea how you're going to feed all these people. And even if we get the money, we're way out of town. Somebody's going to have to go get enough food for all these people and haul it back here. And Jesus told them, what do you have? He said, well, we have a couple fish and loaves of bread. And Jesus said, well, give it to me. And see, once that boy gave it to Jesus, once it was given, then it began to supernaturally multiply. What I'm saying is when people start being givers, God will multiply what you have. They look at their bank account and they look at their paycheck and they say, you know, I only have this amount. But if they'll become givers... God will bless it and multiply. It will go farther and accomplish more than you could ever imagine. Trust me, it's just supernatural. It does not make sense in the natural mind. There's been times that I've looked at the end of things and thought, I don't know how. And this is the truth because we try to figure it out. Sandy and I talked years ago. I was like, I honestly don't know how 
we paid all that off and did this. I tried to go back and understand it, but it had to be God's blessing on this situation. It, it didn't make sense. But God will multiply when you start giving. All right. So whenever you're in that situation, here's what you need to do when you realize I need to see a breakthrough here financially. See the need and pray about it. But number two, use what you have. Submit to God's voice. God may speak to you a strategy. How many knows that God sometimes will give you a strategy on how to do something? Pray about it. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you a strategy. And then step out in faith. And God will multiply what you have and cause you to prosper. All right, here's the last couple things I want to deal with. How to have continual revival. How many of you guys want to live in continual revival? Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice. I'm going to read over this and explain it quickly. But continual revival has to do with prayer, has to do with fasting, and has to do with giving. And here we are, we're going to be entering into a season as a church of prayer and fasting. You know, people are going to be examining themselves, consecrating their lives, and we go into the fall. We're going to have a time where people can give. And we're going to have a time when people can consecrate their lives and we'll, we'll have a service about that. Where we have a time where we really pray about things and make sure everything's right and we'll, we'll go through and pray with you and anoint people. It's going to be powerful. But this has to do with continual revival on Isaiah 58. Here, let's read through it. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to the people their transgression. Now, what is transgression again? Rebellion. They know it's wrong. They're doing it anyway. And to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have they fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you, you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. What he's saying is that some of you guys that are business owners and you own um, this land and you've got hired servants that are out there plowing your fields, you want to go to church and you want to pray and fast and then you want to go home and you want to talk to them like they're a piece of garbage and you want to strike them and you want to fight with your wife in the house and then you want to come fast and you expect me to hear and it doesn't work like that. This is just as applicable today as any other time. And then he goes on to say, is it a fast like this which I choose a day for man to humble himself? That's number one. If you want to know how to live in continual revival, humble yourself. And the Bible doesn't say God will humble you. The Bible says you humble yourself. <coughs> Humbling yourself means that you give God the glory. Pride, most of the time, is just simply rooted in insecurity. And if people will let God deal with that insecurity in them, they won't have an issue anymore with pride. All right, it is bowing one's head like a reed and spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed. So humbling yourself. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose? 
to loosen bonds of wickedness and to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. So first off, we see he's saying here that whenever you go back home, don't be fighting with your family and don't be oppressive to other people. Don't be oppressive to your children. Don't be oppressive and mean to your employees and be treating people like that. And then you want to be heard on high. So he's saying do away with this oppression. But also I believe there's a dual meaning here because when you pray and fast, it breaks the oppression of the demonic realm. Amen? Everybody catch that? There's kind of a twofold meaning here. And what he's saying here is you need to forgive people. Don't be oppressive to others. Fasting helps break through. Number seven, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and do not hide yourself from your own flesh so that you regard the poor? It's a benevolence. So what you guys have to understand, when you give above your tithe and you're giving in to, to regarding the poor like that and these finances are going out from River of Life to the needy like they do, you have to understand that that is intermingling in with your prayer and fasting. God sees that. When it was time for the gospel that had only been Jewish for 13 years under Peter, when it was time now where God wanted it to break out and begin to expand to the Gentiles, who was it that God chose? He found a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. And God sends an angel to this man, an Italian man. God sends an angel to him. And this angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms to the poor have gone up before God as a memorial offering. Send for Peter. And Peter, go, Peter comes, and Cornelius and his whole household saw an explosion of revival. His whole household got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the people that were there in the Bible said that the Holy Spirit came on them just as he did on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. But God found a man who would be a man of prayer and he cared about the poor. Verse 8, then your light, if you'll do this, if you'll humble yourself and you'll pray and you'll fast and you'll give, then your light will break forth like the dawn, the presence of God and the holy angels. I believe that's a reference there. That God releases his angels. He releases his presence on your behalf. And your recovery will speedily spring forth. That's healing. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You see, answer prayers. You will cry and he will say, here am I. If you remove the yoke from your midst. How do you remove the yoke from the demonic? Through confession of sin and repentance. Remove the pointing of the finger. Remove the speaking out wickedness, the gossip and the slandering and the evil of the mouth. Get this out of your midst. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom will become like the midday and the Lord will continually guide you. He will satisfy your desire in a scorched place. In other words, he'll give you revival right in the middle of a desert. And he'll give strength to your bones and you'll be like a watered garden, your spring like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's continual revival. I think I'm preaching a little harder and people are amening right now. My wife, come on, you usually help me out here. 
Those from among you who listen to this, though. So we see humility, prayer, fasting, getting, getting the sin out. Is anybody seeing a pattern that I've been preaching and trying to do in River of Life for a long time now? Humbling ourselves, prayer, fasting, repenting, consecrating your life to God, giving. These things are like a recipe where God says, if you'll do this, I'll pour out my spirit in your midst. I will send you a river in the middle of a desert and it won't dry up. It'll be a continual revival that I will sustain. I will send my glory in your midst. I will heal you. In verse 12, I love this. And those from among you will rebuild ancient ruins, will raise up age-old foundations, and you'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets with dwelling. You know what that means? From the time of the early church until now, Satan has plundered. He has stolen so many things. He, he, unfortunately, he's laid waste in a lot of places. He really has. But if you'll be these type of people that will humble yourself, you'll consecrate your life, get the junk out, you'll pray and fast, you'll be givers. God says, I'll send such a revival among you that you'll be able to go to places that Satan has devastated and you will rebuild there. If because of the Sabbath, and then he mentions the Sabbath day, if you'll rest on this day, which I don't feel like you have to in the New Testament, I know it's not an obligation, okay? But there's a blessing that says, if you will set aside a day, this will what, what will be will that will come upon you. He said this, he said that you will know the joy of the Lord. Ride on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of Jacob your father. So those are the three blessings, I believe, as people set apart a time, a day of rest until the Lord. You don't have to. It's not an obligation. You're not going to go to hell if you don't. You're not in sin. I'm not saying that. But I believe that people will give God a day that they rest and spend time with Him and their family. I believe that God will bless you and that the joy of the Lord will come upon you. You'll ride on the heights of the Lamb where God begins to exalt you and you'll feast on the inheritance of Jacob that there'll be abundance in your life. Okay? So let me recap. I have it listed. Humility. Forgive others. Treat people right. Get the sin out. Has anybody ever preached this way where you guys, you know, they've told you if you've wronged somebody, go make it right? That's true. If you've stolen something, go give it back. If you've hurt somebody, call them and apologize. There's something about that. I want to be ready when the Lord comes. When that shofar blasts, I want to be ready to go. So if I've ever wronged anybody, years ago I did this. I called people, I apologized, I made things right. I don't want any of that attached to my life. Also, prayer and fasting with sincere hearts regard the poor and needy, the Sabbath and feast. Even though they're not obligated, there's something about these times where the heavens open and the glory of God comes. It's a special time. It's a time of visitation. Also, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says in Malachi 3, for people that tithe, it says that I will open the heavens above you and pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. Did you know tithing has to do with an open heaven? You know, we want revival, but I'm going to tell you, like I've said from the beginning, God's not going to pour out His Spirit on a bunch of bag mentality people that are stingy and refuse to give to the work of the Lord and too, their hearts are too corrupt to even tithe. God's not going to do it. He says the heavens will brass up because you're disobedient to me and the earth become iron. But if you will be a tither, if you'll be a giver, 
He said, I will open the heavens over you and pour out more blessings than there's room to contain. It's connected to revival. What I'm trying to say is, if we love Jesus with all of our hearts, it will reflect in our finances. You know why? Because where your treasure is, your heart is. If you love God first and you love Him with all your heart, then you know what? Your finances are going to show that. That's just bottom line. That's why I believe River of Life has always been a place that is predominantly, as far as I know, people have been givers in a lot of ways. Not that um, I'm not saying everybody couldn't go to a new level. That's between you and the Lord. But I believe the reason why is because people have been really in love with Jesus. Let me say a couple more quick things. I'm going to start closing this down. God's standard of righteousness. Now, when I say the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think of? Now, those are Bible school students. You're going to get all smart with me. I know that. But I'm saying those is off the top of your head. What's the first thing you think of? You think of sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality. But did you know in the Bible that what the sins of Sodom may surprise you? Let's read it together. Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. Number one, pride. Number two, abundant food. Gluttony. Number three, careless ease. Now don't miss this. They were lazy. And she did not help the poor or needy. Did y'all hear that? So here's the four sins that God said about her. Prideful. They were totally selfish and self-indulgent. Abundant food. They were lazy. And they refused to help the poor. So here's the picture God's trying to paint. If I could paraphrase all this for you. You got a group of people that they're living in prosperity. And so therefore, they're totally selfish. It's about me. They're full of pride. They're self-indulgent. And they couldn't care less about the poor. And when you have a society of people like that, that are totally selfish totally self-indulgent and lazy like that, it breeds things like homosexuality. All of the sexual sins, if those people had been people that were humble, hard-working people that love God, you would be reading a different narrative about Sodom and Gomorrah today. God's trying to lay the axe to the root. So let me read Job's view of righteousness because I'm dealing a lot with widows and orphans in this. This is what I'm getting to as I'm building to this, okay? Job 31, starting with verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin talking about lust? Isn't it interesting? Job was even before Moses and God had already dropped it in him that I'm not going to even look with lust. Isn't that interesting? Because it was in the New Testament Jesus brought that up. He was such a righteous man. If I have walked with falsehood, and he's talking about lying, my foot is hastened after deceit. If I've despised the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? He's saying here, if I've been somebody that's a lustful person, if I've been a liar, and if I've been oppressive to my employees and I've treated them like garbage, 
when God arises, what am I going to do? If I've kept the poor, here's what I'm getting to, from their desire, or have caused my eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, I eat my food, and the orphan, I didn't share it with the orphan. I didn't care about the widow. But from my youth, he grew up with me as with a father, and from my infancy, I guided her. If I have seen anyone perish for a lack of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his loins have not thanked me, if he has not been warmed by my fleece from my sheep, that I made him, he's saying, I made him a blanket. If I lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had support in the gate, let my shoulder fall from its socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. For calamity from God is a terror to me. And because of his majesty, I can do nothing. This was before, think about this. This was before even the law of Moses that Job was saying, Job's view of righteousness was that he would be a man of integrity that refused to be a lustful person. He refused to mistreat people. He refused to be a liar. But then he said, I am going to be somebody that my righteousness is reflected that I care about the widows and the orphans. And look at God's promise for those that regard the poor. And these are widows, orphans, foreigners, and those obviously that are homeless, things like that, the hurting. Psalms 41, I love this scripture. I quote it every day. How blessed is he who considers the poor. In the Hebrew, this is helpless people, needy people. So, you know, you think financially poor, but what about the people in the nursing homes? It's not just, what about the orphans in the orphanages? You see? What about the widows in the church that don't have any finances? They need help. Also, the Lord said, if he will regard the poor, he'll consider the poor. The Lord says, I will deliver him in a day of trouble. How would you like to be in a difficult situation? And you're like, God, I need you to come through for me. I need you. And God says, you always regarded the poor. I'm here. The Lord said, I will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall, call, he shall be called the blessed upon the earth. How many want to be called the blessed upon the earth? I will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. Man, if that was the only promise here. That God said, I will not let the enemy, your enemies have their way with you. Whether it's the demonic realm or whether it's people that hate you. I'm not going to let people just do whatever they want to. I will be with you. And I'm like, I'll make sure that you're not given over to the desires of your enemies. The Lord said, I will sustain him upon a sick bed and I will restore him to hell. Look at these promises. These are life-changing, huge, massive promises. The Lord says, I'll be with you in trouble. I'll deliver you out of it. I'll protect you. I'll make sure you're the blessed upon the earth. All right. Here's the last couple things I want to talk about. Then we're going to pray. I'm going to recap real quick. Man, how many can feel this tonight? I just feel the presence of the Lord. I believe that this, this teaching really pleases the Lord because it deals with our hearts. And God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. All right, so there's seven ways in the Bible of gleaning. I'm going to go very quick through this, just recap. It has to do with tithing, first fruits, and various kinds of offerings. Don't glean the corners of your field. I've already talked about it. 
But how about that overflow that you you um, help those that are in need? I mentioned how those of us go out to eat on these nights, and we people give kind of large tips to help the lady that we know there, and she doesn't have a lot. But that's gleaning the corner of your field. You're allowing them to glean from the corners of your abundance. That is exactly what that's talking about. The Bikarim, the first fruits. I'm going to deal with that by itself here in a moment. The tithe that we're faithfully bringing the 10% that belongs to the Lord, the first 10%. You know, when we get paid, that's the first thing my wife and I do. We've never calculated our bills and said, well, if we can do We've never had that mentality. From the very beginning, I was raised right about finances. At the very beginning, like the first thing we do is tie 10% because that doesn't belong to us. We're not going to steal from God. That belongs to God. We're going to give it to Him, and it's going to be the 10% before taxes are taken out. We're going to give it to the Lord, and then we're going to believe that He's going to bless our 90%. And we're going to be fine. And he's always taking good care of us, hasn't he? The second tithe that you set money aside for special times to celebrate before the Lord. Those that have a Sabbath day that you spend with your family, something like that. Or during these special times that we have or uh, Passover and all that. That you have a time with your family. That you're able to, to have finances put back where you can really celebrate with your family. Then also the Musaf. This is three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The Lord said, don't come empty-handed. We always give people the opportunity to give. And I've seen where people have done this, and they needed jobs, and they miraculously got jobs right at that time. I've seen it more than once, where things like that have happened. The next one is Zadokah. This is just righteous giving. has to do with alms and blessing Israel. Those of you that give above your tithe, and you write on your checks, and you say on there, look, this is for the poor. This is to go to bless Israel. I promise you that we add to it and we send it and that's where it goes. And so you're doing that. And pray about it as you, as God increases you, then maybe you can increase that giving. You know, when, whenever Sandy and I get more finances coming in and we're freed up, my thought is, well, we need to increase our giving because God has blessed us and we need to make sure that we are blessing His kingdom. And finally, free will offerings. Now let me talk about first fruits. How many knows God wants your first and your best? First fruits, I dealt with this briefly, but I need to talk about it because I believe it could really change your life. Whenever the nation of Israel, they were agriculture, they would plant. And the, the Passover time was celebrating the, wheat, the barley harvest. Pentecost was celebrating the wheat harvest. And then in the fall, when they had the fall feast, it was things like the grapes and the, uh, the olives and all that. So God told them, though, whenever you plant these crops, if you'll obey me, if you'll live right and do what I want you to do, if you'll, if you'll give to me to, you know, and live righteously, he said, I will send the former and the latter rains, the spring and the fall rains, and I'll make sure that your harvest comes in. But he said, when this harvest comes, and you're going to look out on your fields, and you're going to see that some of these first fruits are coming up, I want you to go out there, and I want you to cut down the first fruits and I want you to bring it to the temple. And I want you to give me your first and your best. And if you'll do this, the promises are amazing. So the way that some Christians, this is the way that my wife and I do this now. We've, we've talked about it. But the way some Christians do this is maybe at the first of the month or the first of the year, they'll simply just give the Lord. They'll give the Lord like a first fruits offering. There's something very powerful about that. There's three categories. There's the first fruits, there's the tithe, and then there's the offerings. 
These are very powerful. And what does God say if you'll honor me in the first fruits? Give God your first and your best. He says in Romans eleven sixteen, if the first fruits is holy, the rest is holy. The first fruits seem to release the fullness of God's blessing on your household. See, some people tithe and they'll do some offerings here and there, but maybe they've never honored God with the first fruits. And they wonder, why does my finances seem to be stuck at this level? If you'll begin to offer up a first fruits to the Lord. The Bible promises those that give in the first fruits in Proverbs 9, or 3, 9 through 10, he said, your barns will overflow and your vats will overflow. Remember, I'm going to recap here in a moment. You remember the bag, the barrel, the basket, then the barn. The barn was the highest level. What does the Bible say? Your barns will overflow. Your vats will overflow. In other words, there will be a lot of abundance if you honor God with the first fruits. Abel gave his first fruits and his best, but Cain did not. And here's the last couple things. We need to have righteous hearts in our giving. Did you know in the Bible, in the children of Israel, when they really loved the Lord and they were really living right before God, did you know that the house of God, the temple, really was prospering and the priesthood was prospering? But whenever the children of Israel were backslidden away from God, did you know that the house of God began to dilapidate? And the priesthood didn't have what they needed financially, so they had to go work jobs. See, when people's hearts are really right with God, it really does reflect in their giving. It shows up in the church. There was a church that I was a part of years ago, back in the 90s. In this particular church, I believe God really wanted to pour out His Spirit. And this was during the the time frame when Brownsville was going on. And I was going down there a lot and getting touched by the Lord. And I'd always been a part of these larger type churches, but in this particular church, the people there by and large, and I think my parents will know who I'm talking about, but by and large, the people weren't givers. They weren't tithers, and a lot of people didn't give. That church was dilapidated in a lot of ways. And it struggled financially. You know, I believe that God really wanted to pour out His Spirit there because He needed a place where He could move. But the Lord ended up ultimately passing them by. And I believe that was one of the reasons why He did. But when we seek first the kingdom, these things are added. If you'll seek first the kingdom, the first fruits, your your first and your best, and whenever you're getting finances, you're thinking, this is not my money, this is God's, I'm just a steward. I want to give God like a first fruits. I want to also tithe. I'm thinking about the widows and the orphans. And, and Pastor Scott told me if we'll, we'll give above our tithe that that's where he's going to send this money. And I, you know, I want to bless the poor. And I want to bless Israel. And, I, you know, my heart is to do this. Whenever people start doing that, they're seeking first the kingdom. All these other things start getting added. That's why you need to be careful judging people that are prospering because it could just very well be that they sought first the kingdom. And God began to really bless them. See, a lot of times people get really mad. They see people that are doing well and they go, look at them. Well, you know, maybe, maybe they sought first the kingdom and since Jesus is not a liar, he made sure all that stuff was added. 
And we need to live by faith and sow in time of famine. Whenever you're in difficult times, don't stop. I've heard John Paul Jackson say that. I'll never forget. He said, man, if you're going to go through difficult times in life, he said, the worst thing you can do is stop giving. He said, you better make sure that you keep giving because you're planting seed in the ground for a future harvest. Also, poverty mentalities, which I've already dealt with, have got to go, but entitlement. Who in the world? What has happened to society now? What has happened? Well, all these people... These little brat punk kids are coming up that think that society owes them everything. I shouldn't have to work. Everybody should just give me everything for free. When the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And let me ask you this. If you were the devil, how would you oppose God's people? Would not opposing their finances be the smart move? Because they can't do much for the Lord if they don't have the finances. Another couple things. You better guard the motives of your heart. Make sure that it's done before the Lord. You know, some people may, like Jesus said, they go up there and they want to give big offerings. They want everybody to notice it. Look at me. Pat me on the back. Look what I did. And Jesus said those people, when they get the the glory from man, they've received their uh, reward in full. But Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that you do it in secret before God, and your Father who sees that you did these things in secret will reward you openly. But it's your heart to do it to Him. I want to bless Him. I'm not doing it so people can see or notice. We want to live to glorify the Lord. And you're giving to God, not to man. When you give, don't let there be some kind of weird control, some kind of manipulation, all these other things. I've seen this stuff in church. When you give, you're giving to God. Let it go. I challenge you over this next year. We're going to pray here in a moment a renunciation prayer. But I challenge you over this next year, go to the next level. Some of you say, well, Pastor Scott, maybe I've been at the bag level where I felt like this is my money. I've been selfish. I haven't been a giver. So basically, I've lived paycheck to paycheck and I've struggled. See, that bag is just your wallet in your pocket. It's my money. But I want to get out of that bag level and I want to go to the barrel level. The barrel level was the woman who Elijah said, if you'll just make me that little bit of meal that you have left in there, that flour, if you'll just use that to make me a flapjack or whatever it was. When you do that, God's blessing will come on your barrel, your little flour pot that you have there where it's not going to run out. And so Elijah was trying to teach you. Imagine how Elijah felt having to ask this woman who said, I just have enough to make something for me and my son and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, no, make it for me. You imagine how humbling that was for him. But whenever he said that, he knew that if she'll just learn to give, that God's blessing will come on her little um, barrel of flour. And it did. And now her and her household were able to eat. And it seems to indicate in the scriptures, the scholars believe it lasted up to a year. Can you imagine having that much in a little barrel and it lasted to feed your family for a year? It just kept supernaturally multiplying. But see, the barrel level is where it's blessing you and your little family. But the next level is the basket. Jesus fed the multitudes where there was basketfuls left over. God's wanting us to get to the level to where we can not only be a blessing in our family, but a blessing to many other people because we're giving out. And finally, the barn level, like Joseph, is a level where there's a great transference of wealth. I challenge you to think about what level. Are you a bag level? Are you a barrel level? Are you a basket level? But I challenge you over this next year to ask the Lord, 
what do you want me to do? Because Pastor Scott's taught the word here. What do you want me to do about first fruits? What do you want me to do? I know I need to be faithful with my tithe, but about giving above my tithe and offerings. What do you want me to do? And then to be, begin to be faithful on that level, and God will start taking you from the bag to the barrel, from the barrel to the basket. And from the basket, you'll be a part of the barn one day, one day where there's great wealth transfer. So be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to his house and make his house a house of prayer. Be faithful. Be a soul winner. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and bear fruit. Listen, God wants our first and our best. What are you called to do? What are you gifted to do? Begin to get out and do that. Begin to be used of the Lord. My wife has such a powerful testimony. Many times she goes with my mother out to the prisons, and, and she's, she's giving of herself in that way. And, and my mother's going out, and she's taking some of you guys to the homeless and to the uh, nursing homes and places, and you're preaching the gospel. But, I mean, let's start being more active about doing these things. I know River of Life, by and large, is. But, but pray about it. Are there areas that maybe you could be doing more for the kingdom? All right, let's pray tonight. Leave the recordings going because I want this on the recording. Those that are listening to this and have followed this series, now we're here at the end, and I'm going to lead everybody in a renunciation prayer, and we're going to pray and ask God's forgiveness for things that have maybe been in our family ancestry where some of you know, I don't even have to tell you, you don't even have to think long about it, that your family has probably robbed God financially. And some of your family has probably given finances to places that you wish they wouldn't have. And God is going to set you free from that right now. And those that have had idols and immorality and bloodshed in your family line, God's going to purge that. And then I'm going to read something and we're going to agree together. There's a man by the name of Dr. John Benefil that wrote this and it's gone out to the nations now. It's been amazing. And he had a a lawyer write it, so it's in legalese, but it's a decree of divorce from people that their families have connected themselves to Baal and these other spirits, that God sever that. And it is really powerful. It's affected a lot of people. So I want us to read that tonight. All right, so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Everybody, just sincerely, if you'll pray this for the Lord, okay? Everybody out loud, dear Jesus. I ask your forgiveness in my life and in my family for any God-robbing, ungodly ties financially. And we have not been what you want us to be financially. Forgive us, Lord. We renounce finances that have gone toward ungodly things. Forgive us for the idols, the worship of other gods, and the iniquity that's been in our family. For the sexual immorality and the iniquity that's been there. For the bloodshed and again, the iniquity that's been there. We ask you, Lord, to cleanse this out of us. Or maybe our ancestors were connected to some kind of a timetable, to ungodly worship. Maybe they sat at the table of the demonic, of other religions. And they connected their finances and their time 
to these things. We ask your forgiveness. Also for people in our family who neglected their family, God's house, the things of God, because of the pursuit of wealth. Where money was a God or money was sent to their gods. We ask your forgiveness for all the unfaithfulness that's been in our ancestry. Unfaithfulness towards you and unfaithfulness toward their families because of these idols and immorality. And based on the scriptures that Christ was bruised for our iniquity that you would cleanse this out of me and my family that love of money that idolatry that immorality and all the iniquity cleanse it out of us so that us and our families can be free we believe we receive it now in Jesus name I want you guys and those that are going to be listening to this just agree with me and God will do it where you're at. This is written by a lawyer and it's in a lot of legalese, okay? So I'll explain as I go, but um, if you're not familiar with this, it's going to sound kind of crazy. But anyway, this is a divorce decree for Baal and these other demonic principalities. So this is the way it's written. I'm just reading it as it is, but I want you all to agree with me. I mean, you guys, if your family somehow connected your family to Baal, or Jezebel, or Leviathan, these other demonic entities, through whatever, through Freemasonry, through Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, through whatever. How many of you want you and your wife and your kids to be free from that? Amen? All right. This is all I'm praying. And this has a lot to do with the transference of wealth, and it also has to do with physical health. Because a lot of times these strong men are wanting to keep hold of things. But Jesus paid for our total freedom, and we're not going to give up. We're going to press into 100% of everything Jesus paid for us to have. All right, so this is how it reads. All right, the people of God, which is the plaintiff, okay, versus the principality of Baal, including Queen of Heaven, Jezebel, Ahab, or Leviathan, or any other demonic entities, which are the defendant. All right. The decree of the divorce. And everybody is agreeing with me. Father, we come before the courtroom of heaven tonight. And this matter comes before you as the the supreme judge of the highest court, the kingdom of God. And we petition that the people of God are seeking a decree of divorce from the principality of Baal and these other satanic forces. And we ask that that you will find, number one, that the plaintiff, the people of God's assertions are fully substantiated here. That this marriage was entered into by the plaintiff based on lies and deceit by the defendant. People didn't know what they were doing. Our ancestors, a lot of them didn't really know what they were doing. We certainly didn't agree to this. The children of God, the plaintiff, relied on fraudulent inducements and enticements by the defendant, which the defendant had neither the intention nor the ability to deliver. The whole relationship was based on a lie. 
Baal is not our husband. Baal is not our provider. The Lord our God, the God of Abraham, is our husband and our provider. So the plaintiff renounces. How many agree with this? We renounce any and all rights and claims or interest of any possessions jointly acquired with the defendant during this marriage, such as all of the devil's sickness, all of his poverty, all of his divorce, all of his oppression, all of his satanic bondage. He's going to take that filth and go with it. And the plaintiff, we are entitled to have sole right and claim and interest in and to all the gifts, the possessions, and the inheritance that our Heavenly Father has promised to us. And the defendant will be barred, Satan's kingdom will be barred from any title, control, or use of such gifts, possessions, or inheritance. It is ours, it is from God, and it is off limits to the devil. And this is figurative that the offspring of the marriage that has been stillborn, or have been viable for only a brief time, and we're either destroyed by the defendant or were so infected with sickness or attributed to the defendant's condition that no life remained in them. In other words, things that should have and could have been in our lives, but the devil stole. Those things. That God is going to restore. The plaintiff, the people of God, repudiate any and all joint claims with the defendant. And request that the Lord sever all relationships with the defendant of any nature. However and whenever such occurred. And seeks enforcement by this court of plaintiffs. Desire to be known by no other name than that given by the plaintiff's fathers. In other words, any other name that came from Freemasonry. Any other name that came through false religions and false gods on this family. We renounce these names. We will only be known by the name that our Heavenly Father calls us. For example, because my wife left all that and gave her life to Jesus. You know, one example. I know Satan's kingdom would like to call her a traitor. But that's not what God calls her. God calls her his child. Alright. The plaintiff also seeks, the children of God seek an everlasting restraining order against the defendant. So as to keep the defendant away from all of our persons and property belonging to the plaintiff, including family bloodlines. How many agree with that? That there's going to be a perpetual standing restraining order where the enemy can no longer have any type of claim over us, our families, our spouses, our children, our bloodline, our health, our finances, any area of our lives that's under the blood of Jesus. And there's a restraining order against the enemy. It doesn't matter if our ancestors worship some other demon god it doesn't matter if they made pacts with satan it doesn't matter because now all of this is under the blood of jesus and that divine justice in that now the defendant satan's kingdom must repair all the damage he's caused our lives he must restore everything that's been stolen sevenfold he must remove out of our lives in our families what he's placed in and he must put every disorder he created back in order number seven based on God's promises of Galatians 3 13 through 14 we know that we have the blessings given Abraham in our lives and there would be a great release in our lives of exaltation and promotion divine health and long life reproductiveness prosperity and abundance favor with God and man and victory over all of our enemies 
This is our inheritance. And what the enemy tried to block and tried to hinder from flowing into our lives the way it should, then now these things will begin to flow with great abundance. And number, number eight, that God, the supreme judge, would release his holy angels to enforce this decree in every aspect. That the enemy will not be able to slither to the left or right. They won't be able to try to negotiate. They won't be able to try to delay. They're going to do exactly what they're told and exactly when they're told to do it and exactly how they're told to do it. So, Father, we ask that the court of heaven be fully advised in this evidence and find the plaintiff, God's people, you would find in our favor and against the defendant in all matters material to the plaintiff's petition of divorce and does by this decree grant the plaintiff a divorce, how many agree with this, a complete divorce from Satan's kingdom, and request set forth above that being the order of this court, form and after this date, so shall it be. So Lord, we're asking you that this will be a clean slate tonight, that there will be a breakthrough with things that have been stubborn for years, will break through, or people that have felt that their inheritance may be things that should have come down family bloodlines, but it was stolen by the devil financially. Maybe sickness that has traveled down family lines for whatever reason. Maybe things like divorce and family alienation and, and hurt and pain and wounds that have been attached to families. Lord, we agree together tonight that based on the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross and what he paid for us, that there's going to be a complete and total divorce from these things. That every principality and every power and every demonic entity has no right to our lives. So we ask you in agreement, everybody's agreeing with me, we ask you to let this be set in motion tonight. And Lord, that your gavel will come down. You will decree it to be so, and angels be sent on assignment to enforce it. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Let it come. We believe now. How many in agreement with this tonight? Lord, let it come. We ask you, Lord, to look down our family lines. Look at the children. Look at the grandchildren. Let this shift now for the whole family. Lord, look upon the oppression. Where things have been now, let there be a breakthrough. Lord, we thank you for victory. We believe we receive it in Jesus' name.